Let's go ahead and open with prayer and we'll open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to worship you in songs and, and praise. And Lord, as we get ready to worship you through the word, we ask that you guide and lead each word spoken and, and that it will be what you would have. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're continuing our six sessions on foundational truths. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read one verse. Verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. So we're going to spend time on this verse. How many times have you either thought or maybe heard somebody say, well, that's just the Old Testament. It's uh, really not that important. Uh, a lot of people think that in the Old Testament, all you have is an angry God, a vicious, mean God. And today we're going to take this verse and show God's mercy. <laughs> his mercy. And his mercy is all through the Old Testament. And I love teaching the Old Testament just because I like to bring people to the idea that the Old Testament has everything the New Testament has in it. It may be a little more clouded over, just as the Apostle said, but it's there. But just to catch up, because it's been two weeks since we've done this, we've been going through this, we've covered so far the creation of the world. Okay, and we talked about how evolution and creationism are both philosophical viewpoints, neither one of them are science. And when you get these people who present evolution as science, they don't know what they're talking about. Okay, so we talked a lot about that. We also talked about how everything reproduces after its kind. All right, and that's what God said over and over in chapter 1. It will reproduce after its kind. And there is nobody out there that expects their dog to give birth to cats. Uh, now, evolutionists try to tell us that will happen, but even when you ask them, what, does it, what did it become, they'll tell you it became what it was. And they go, well, when did you have one where it became something it wasn't? Uh, you know, and if anybody ever has a dog that gives birth to a cat or a rat or a fish, let it, you know, you'll be famous. You'll approve evolution. But uh, it won't happen. God says it produces after its own kind. Uh, we talked about how woman was created to be equal to man, a helpmate to man. And then how that, then they were to be one flesh. The whole picture of the bride of Christ and Christ. We are one flesh with Christ. We become him. He fills us up and we become him. And then we saw the first sin, the grabbing of the tree of the knowledge of fruit of good and evil. And get the word out. And how that was both of them standing there looking at the fruit and Eve being deceived and Adam willingly taking the fruit afterwards. And then we saw the curses and how the curses took what was supposed to be a one flesh relationship and put Adam in dominion over the wife and put the wife in submission instead of the equality that was supposed to be there. And we saw the shame that was produced and we saw, we saw the, the covering of themselves. And when God had said in Genesis 2:17 that when you eat this fruit, you will die. And we talked about how they did die. They died spiritually. The relationship they had with God, where they could walk with God in the cool of the night, the cool of the evening. And we talked about how that would be, was also a picture of Jesus, and it, a Christophany, a picture of Jesus in the flesh before he was born, walking with them in a form that they could talk, interact with. 
And we see all of this that had fallen down. And, and then we get to, we see that they had covered themselves with fig leaves. And we talked about how the fig leaves were a picture of our own works. They tried to cover themselves with our own works. And, we, and this kind of ties in with where we're going on this one. We can't stand before God in our own works. You know, and this is very important for us as Christians to understand because sometimes we as Christians, we get saved by grace, with, you know, not by works, lest any man but boast, and then we try to live by works. And we try to judge other Christians by the works they do or don't do. And this is a very dangerous place for us to go because as I've shared here, you know, we are judging people by the rules that God has taught us to live by. And trying to judge them, well, you're not following all the rules God gave me, but they've got another set of rules that God has taught them, and they're going, you're not living by all the rules that God taught me. And if we would quit doing that, we'd have better fellowship. Let the people grow. Now, if they're doing grossly sinful things, and you have a relationship with them, and you're praying for them, by all means, go talk to them. And remember, we've shared over and over, if you don't pray for somebody, if you're not praying for an individual, you have absolutely no right to speak into their life about the things they're doing wrong. Because if you don't have enough love to be on your knees before God, t- talking to God about what their life and God, I've been worried, I'm concerned about this person, you don't love them enough to go talk to them. And so this is very important for us to understand. And God looked at Adam and Eve. They're hiding. They've never hidden from him before. And remember his question was, Adam, where are you? And remember originally their name was both Adam. It was Ish and Isha. They were one. They were one unit as far as God was concerned, as far as they were concerned. And he goes, Adam, where are you? And he didn't immediately respond. And we talked about this. God knew exactly where they were at. And it's the same thing he does with us. You know, when we're out there living in sin and God comes along and says, "Uh, Ralph, where are you? (laughs) You know, I've got that opportunity to confess and go, and God, I've really been messing up. I need, I need forgiveness. Or I can wait for him to kind of drag me out of the bushes and say, I'm going to discipline anyway. <laughs> you know, and how many of us, when we had kids, do we tell our kids, if you just tell the truth, it's not going to be as bad as if I have to pull <laughs> your confession out of you. And you know, they may have still got a spanking. They may have still gotten the, the restriction. But if you had to fight them for their admission of guilt, the punishment was worse. Now they had the punishment for what they did plus, the, plus what they were trying to hide. God did the same thing with Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you? Why are you, why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding from me? Answer, we're naked. We've got these fig leaves on, we're naked. How many times when we sin do we feel naked in front of God? We have that conviction. We are not wanting to be near God. And how do we normally express that? Not only do we not want to get near God, we don't want to come to his church. We don't want to open our Bible. We don't want to pray. Because when we do any of those things, we come close to God and his light shines on us, revealing where we're at. This is why Adam and Eve hid. They didn't want to be seen. God, you know, we are having this problem. And then in, in this verse it says, And God, after he's done the curse, it says, And God sa- said to the uh, wife, and, and unto Adam also and his wife, did God make coats of skin. Coats of skin. Can you imagine there's never been death 
in the Garden of Eden. And God slays an animal for two reasons. First one is the shedding of blood was needed for the remission of sin. We're told that in Hebrews. Hebrews said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus said over and over again, my blood is the new covenant. And Adam and Eve saw from the very beginning the high cost of their sin. Can you imagine? We don't know how long they spent in the Garden of Eden. I personally do not think it was a long time because I don't see any children being involved in this, in this fall. So I do not believe it was a long period of time. There's nothing in the Bible saying whether it was short or not. But I take the fact that there were no kids uh, and giving us a problem of two different races, uh, uh, one that's fallen and one not fallen. I believe it was just a very short period of time before they fell into this sin. But there's not been death. Been long enough for them to make pets out of these animals. And I have this feeling that God probably slew the animal that they, animals that they had gotten closest to to show them the value of the cost, the high cost of this sin. And again, that's my personal opinion. I don't think he just grabbed one, but you know, they, they are the master of all of them. So, But you think about this, in the Passover, when the Passover came, they took the lamb out of the fold and they put it in the house for four days. They really made it a pet. They drew close to this lamb that was going to be slaughtered four days later. And anybody who's been on a farm, you don't usually draw close to your animals to, if you're going to use them for food. You know, if they're a pet or one that you plan to milk for the rest of its life, you give it a name. But if it's going to be the cow that you're slaughtering next, next month after it's fattened up, you don't usually name that one. Because <laughs> you don't want to say, well, here, here's Dolly on the table. <laughs> you know, especially if you've got little kids who drew close to that. They're uh, not really anxious to eat that animal usually. But when God took the Passover lamb, he said, you're to take it into your home for four days. Examine it. Get to really know that animal. This is one of the reasons I believe that this animal was one that they had drawn close to, or animals, and God slew them. Now, having said this, there are certain people that go, God just created skins for them, and I don't believe that. I really wanted them, I believe that he really wanted them to know, here's my mercy. I'm restoring our fellowship with the blood of this animal, but this is the cost of your sin. Because too many times we kind of have this idea of really cheap grace. Well, I can just sin because it's forgiven. We don't really know the price. If we can do that, we don't understand the price of our forgiveness. It took God's son's death on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. With all the pain associated with that. And we've talked about this uh, pain. He was struck with the flagellum, seven cords with knotted bones and glass and, and wood uh, and, and whatever to make it heavy. And these Roman guards used to play games when they would strike these people and say, how much skin can we take off this person? How much muscle? And they would place bets with each other and who would get the biggest chunk out of the person? This is what he went through for us before he even went to the cross. They put the crown of thorns with the three-inch thorns in on his head, and they didn't just place it there. They drove it into his, onto him. They put the, put the bag over his head and were striking him and saying, tell us, you're a prophet, tell us who's, who's hitting you. This all happened before he went to the cross. 
Most people wouldn't even have lived through that. And then he went to the cross. He went through the pain that we deserve for our sin. The lamb that, that God slew, or sheep or goat, whatever it was, he's, the, the, what he, whatever he slew to get the, the skins for them, was blood drawn so they could have a relationship with God because it was a picture of the future. Just as all the sacrifices in the scripture, when we did the Exodus and Leviticus class, we went through each of, the, each of the sacrifices and we showed how this was a sacrifice that Jesus fulfilled and how there's a sacrifice and what they meant. And this is something we, I share with you. you know, we Christians, when we hear the word sacrifice, we only think of one sacrifice. You, know, you throw something up on the, on the altar and you burn it. And, and we don't even understand that one completely. <laughs> okay, And that's only one of the five major sacrifices and we went through each one of these sacrifices and what they were for and why and why they did it and Jesus fulfilled every one of those sacrifices for us the burnt offering was skinned and the skin belonged to the priest he was Jesus was flayed he was flayed open there was not much skin left on his body when they got done with him and then they made him walk to the cross to Golgotha with the crossbeam to be crucified. The price of our salvation is high. The price of our forgiveness of our sins is high. If we can sin without having any conviction of it, just because we're going to be given, the blood's going to cover it, we've got a problem. Probably don't know the one who paid the price in the first place. Because that should hurt us to think about that. And this, this animal paid the price of their sin. The blood shed so that they could have a continued relationship with God. And this is where all the very first sacrifice, you know, very first sacrifice. And we're going to see the second one in the next chapter when Cain and Abel get into their problems where one offers works and one offers what there was, the blood. And we're going to see that this has been a problem from the beginning. You know, we love to say there's nothing new under the sun and there isn't. These sacrifices have been going on. The, the rejection of these sacrifices have been going on. The shedding of blood has been going on. The picture of Jesus. This is now our second picture of Jesus in the scriptures. We have the promise in 315, and then we have this one where he's showing, and here's the symbol of, my, of that promise. The shedding of this blood. The loss of an innocent life to pay for your sin. And then he clothed them. He gave them, and he says, here is my clothing for you. It is better than your works. It's, it's my clothing for you. This is a huge picture of salvation when we look at it. Bloodshed covers our sins. Jesus shed his blood so that our sins would be covered. And then what does he do? He clothes our nakedness and takes off, strips off our righteous rags and puts on the righteousness of Christ. Just as he did with Adam and Eve, he says, I'm going to cover your sin with the blood and I'm going to clothe you. Very picturesque of what he does in salvation. I'm going to be the one that clothes you. We're going to take away the, the rags of your unrighteousness or even your righteousness. Because we remember in Isaiah, it tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags. And I love this. When people go and stand, you know, when you witness to people and they go, well, I just hope I'm good enough to please God. I'm going, well, you're not. <laughs> well, you don't know me. I'm going, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. 
And I will tell him just that. I go, all your righteousness in God's sight is filthy rags. If you want to stand before God in what you have done, you're going to be rejected. Because the very best you can do is rags. And there are going to be billions that stand before God on the white throne judgment on that day in filthy rags, and God's going to say, depart. You know, we like to talk about people with a dress code. God has the ultimate dress code. You are either dressed in Jesus Christ's righteousness or you are rejected. He has a very big formal wear uh, requirement and that's what Jesus provides. And we need to keep this in mind. When people give you these questions, go back to the word. When you're witnessing and somebody goes, well, I just hope I'm good enough, you won't be. Or you'll hear somebody, well, nobody knows whether you go to heaven or hell. I go, yeah, we do. If you're trusting in yourself, you don't go. We need to get to the place where we're starting to be more dogmatic when we talk to people. Not wishy-washy. And I've seen so many Christians that are very wishy-washy when they're going out there. They won't, they won't challenge any of these statements. And we need to be in this place where we say, this is what God says. Well, I don't believe what God says. Well, that's too bad. It's what he says. <laughs> and remember, I've told you all many times, when I witness to somebody, they'll go, well, how do you witness to a Mormon? You're a sinner. You deserve hell. Jesus died for you and you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior because he is the only one and only son of God. How do you witness to a Muslim? You're a sinner. <laughs> you deserve hell. You know, Jesus died for your sins. You need to accept him. The truth is the truth. It doesn't matter who we're talking to. And we quote the Bible and people go, well, what if they don't believe the Bible? I don't care. God says his word does not return void. Many times when you listen to people when they share their story about how they get saved, they share their testimony, and they'll go, and I remembered this verse from somebody <laughs> years ago who just said this, and all of a sudden it hits them. God's word stays in their heart and eventually will be part of what they hear. Where they hear enough people saying the same thing, they go, Wow, these guys don't all, don't all seem to go to the same church. They're not even living in the same town or same state. And they're, they keep saying the same thing. And all of a sudden, it makes them think. And the Holy Spirit starts working on it and starts working on them. So I just want to encourage you, be strong. The Bible's true. And if they don't like it, that's their problem, not ours. All right? Because we just want to say, you know, we deserve help. Well, that's so narrow. Yep, God said he's narrow. <laughs> God says the path is narrow to him. Jesus said broad is the way to destruction and many that will take it. And narrow is the way to life because it goes through Jesus. And we need to be in this, especially in our day and age where people are saying, well, you know, you're so intolerant. You're so bigoted. You're, you're just hate people. No, I love you enough that I don't want to see you go to hell. And we really need to understand how, what hell is all about. Hell is not a place where people want to go. Uh, you know, sometimes when you witness to somebody and you go, well, where will you spend eternity? Well, I think I'll go spend eternity in hell with all my friends. Well, you may spend your time in hell, but it's not going to be with your friends. You're not going to have comfort of friendship in hell. You're going to be burned. You're going to have your conscience tearing at you. You're going to have all these problems. It's going to be dark is what it tells us, dark and burning. And I really believe that part of their punishment is they're going to see what they didn't get be a one-way mirror into heaven and they're going to see what they gave up and not get any comfort because of that. 
That's my personal opinion because I look at the rich man who looked up into Abraham's bosom and he saw what he was missing. He saw the comfort that Lazarus was in. So I believe that that's part of the torment of hell is that they're going to see what they're missing. But you know, that should motivate us to share the gospel, especially with our family. Should motivate us with everybody. But it really should motivate us to share the gospel with our family. Because the last thing you're going to want to do is have your, your niece, your nephew, your cousin go, you knew about this place and you didn't tell me as they're being cast into hell. You know, that will be an awful place to be. But hell itself should motivate us to share the gospel. You don't want to go there. When I've done street evangelism, many times when somebody says, no, I don't want to have anything to do with it, sometimes I would look at my watch and I'm going, well, I want to tell you that on you know, September 17th, at, uh, 18th, or on 18th, September 18th at, at 11.35, you were told the gospel message. You cannot tell God you did not hear it. And there won't be anybody who can do that, but I really would make that point with them. Because you're not going to be able to tell God, well, I didn't hear because God's going to say, part of the white throne judgment is going to be him showing, well, I showed it here, and 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 I showed it here. This is a serious issue. The shedding of blood and the clothing in the righteousness of Christ. The only way that we are acceptable to God is because we are, have the blood covering our sin and his righteousness clothing us. And then we get access to God. We can enter into the throne room of heaven. We get our citizenship changed from this world to the next world. This is not home. If you ever feel like this is a terrible place and it's very uncomfortable, thank God that's your attitude because it's not. It should be that. This is not home. If we get comfortable in this world, we've got a problem. If I'm not bothered by the things going on around me, the things I see... I, don't have a, I either have no relationship or not a close enough relationship with Jesus and the Father. Very important for us to get this. And this one verse, I mean, how many times have you read this verse over your lifetime and never really thought about how important this one verse was? This is God's mercy. He allowed Adam and Eve to not only live physically, but he gave them back a spiritual life by the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. This, uh, this verse showing his blood and his mercy is wonderful. And it shows his great mercy right from the very first part of the book. We want to keep this in mind. Whenever you think somehow or you hear somebody talk about, well, boy, God was just so angry back there. Look at all of what he did. Oh, yeah, he redeemed Adam and Eve and kept them alive with the sacrifice of the blood. He kept Noah in the ark through his lifetime. He protected Abraham through his lifetime. He gave Isaac, who had no, no reason to have the blessing of Abraham, the blessing. He gave Jacob, who was even worse than his dad, the blessing of Abraham. You know, a conniver, a cheat, a scoundrel, and he got given the blessing. You know, we look at Joseph. He uses Joseph to save all of his family and the, and the world from that seven-year famine. You know, he brought children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea with victory, giving them victories they didn't deserve. All the times that they griped and complained about God and he, and he didn't destroy them. Came close a couple times when he told Moses that he would, and Moses, as a good leader, helped his people and said, don't do it, and God knew that he would. But we look at the scriptures and say, 
how merciful and gracious is our God. He's always been that way. And he is still a wrathful, vengeful God in this day. And if you don't believe me, go, go do nothing but sin and don't try to follow him and watch what he does. You know, it's not something that is, is pretty. He still has his wrath and his vengeance that follows. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is immutable. He does not change. Now, he gives us greater revelation as he's gone along. The revelation here of his mercy was a little bit hidden, and most people probably have never seen it in all their time they've read it. But it's there. His mercy is everywhere. If you start reading the Old Testament looking for his mercy and his grace, you're going to be amazed at how much mercy and grace you find in the Word, in the Old Testament. It is, he has not changed. He has been so gracious. Read the book of Hosea, and Hosea was told to go... Mer uh, marry a prostitute because he wanted to be a picture of what God was doing with Israel. You, know, you, want to, you don't believe that God is gracious and merciful in the Old Testament? You know, he shows us over and over his mercy and his grace to his people. And so we look at this and we see this whole picture of Jesus as the promise of, the, of it and how we're covered by his blood. What did God cover? He covered their shame. He covered their nakedness. He covered their guilt and was able to lift them up. What does he do with us when we get saved? He covers our shame. He covers our guilt. He takes our rags of our, our, of our life apart. He gives us a new, new creation. It gives us a living spirit. He fills us with the Holy Spirit who starts changing us from the inside out so that we become more like him. Not because we're working and striving and trying real hard, but the Holy Spirit is inside us changing who we are. And, you know, I love that because it's so nice to be able to look back and say, wow, I used to really like doing this, and now I haven't even thought about doing it. Not because I've had a whip and a chain out and, and, and a chair and, you know, cracking the whip and putting the flesh in, into its place, but God kills the flesh and changes it to his spirit. And then we start acting more like God. We learn to love people more and more. We learn to express that love. We learn to care for people. Why? because the Spirit lives in us and is changing us. And so we want to keep this in mind as we go forward. God's marvelous mercy is shown to man right from the very beginning because man deserved to be totally wiped out at this point. Okay? There's only two of them. Let's wipe them out. Start all over again. Maybe we'll get it right. But God already knew. Remember, we've talked about this when we talked about uh, the promise in 315. God knew Adam and Eve was going to sin. He already had the plan in place. Before they even started any of this, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus got together and said, okay, we're going to create man. They're going to sin. We're going to need them to be bought back. Son, would you be willing to go and be the sacrificed lamb? Yes. The Spirit, will you be the one that helps change them and bring them back to us? Yes. And then they, just, then they created all of this, knowing what was going to happen. And I've already said, and we've, you know, I don't understand why he would do it. I don't understand why he would do it at all. But he did. Knowing what was going to happen, he did. When they sinned, the promise was right there. And the action was right there to show them the shedding of the blood. This is what you do when you, you're going to make these sacrifices to be, to be acceptable. You're going to shed the innocent blood to cover your sin and, the, and, and burn, the, burn the animal in consecration. 
And when we studied the burnt offering, that's what the burnt offering was. It's a dedication to God. You're saying, God, I, I want to be totally on fire and burnt up for you. And the picture of this, picture of this burning and, and, and dedication is the animal that has shed its blood for me. And I'm it burning it up instead of me. And so we want to keep this in mind. There's a great promise on what's happening here. Salvation. The picture of salvation right from the very third chapter of the book, first book. And it's right there. So when we say, well, God didn't, you know, God was different back then. No, exactly the same, exactly the same picture. He's going to give us more and more revelation of it as he goes along in the Old Testament. But the picture is the same from the very beginning. What does he expect of us? We accept that sacrifice. We accept that blood. And it's so simple, and we all in this room know about it. You know, God, I am a sinner. I, I accept that you paid my penalty. I repent of my sins. Come into my life. Or anything sim similar to that. The thief in the cross's prayer was, remember me. <laughs> you know, you want to talk about a very simple prayer. <laughs> you know, uh, hey, remember me when you get into your, <laughs> into your kingdom. But he had turned himself over to God. I've been wrong, you're right. And that's really what it comes down to. God, I can't do it myself, I need you. And that can be as simple as a prayer that, is, that it takes to be saved. And then go live, find out about how to live for him. By going to church, going with other Christians, getting into the Bible, starting into some Bible study. All the different things that are involved in it, but we start with the first step. I can't do it, I need your blood. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll sing some more songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your shed blood, Lord. We thank you that you love us so much and care for us so much that you provided the means for us to spend eternity with you. We ask that you will bring this message to those we know. Give us boldness to talk to people and, and be strong in our witness to people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.